An expert on statecraft in and around the Pacific says the whack-a-mole-like approach of the U.S. and its allies to China's efforts in the region could be working against them. Since 2019, when Solomon Islands and Kiribati cut diplomatic ties with Taipei in favour of Beijing, there's been an exponential increase in diplomatic engagement with Pacific countries, mainly driven by the geopolitical contest between the U.S. and its allies and China. Kuroi Hawkins spoke with University of Adelaide Professor of International Security Joanne Wallace, whose team this week updated their story map of the tools of statecraft being deployed by countries in the Pacific. Professor Wallace says the analysis is that a more considered, responsive approach to China's activities would serve Western nations better than their current reactive tendencies. Maybe starting as, as you do in your map with a just defining for us what is what is statecraft and, and how does that apply to what's going on in the Pacific? So statecraft is kind of the word of the, the moment in Australia in particular. So we had decided that it was being used by a lot of different people, but we weren't sure that people kind of shared the same understanding about what it meant. So we've come up with our own formulation about what statecraft is. And it's a little bit wordy, so apologies, but it's basically the actions that states take to try to change. And that try is really important because it doesn't necessarily imply that it's successful to try to change their external environment. So their region or the, or the globe, or even just their, their very close environment, the policies or behavior of target states or actors or other groups. Because of course, we know that influence attempts or attempts to exercise statecraft are not only against nation states, they're also try to influence individuals or community groups or other actors, and also to try to change the attitudes, the belief, the beliefs and the opinions of those targets. And that's really important too, because that's often a little bit underappreciated when people think about statecraft. They kind of think we've got to analyse what, you know, state A has done to try to change what state B is doing. But they kind of miss that even if you don't necessarily immediately change what state B is doing, if you change the way they see the world, that will have impacts down the down the road. So we try to capture, it's quite a broad definition, but we think it tries to capture all the elements that, that statecraft is trying to achieve. Mm, and, and closely linked to this are the, the, the tools of statecraft. Um, probably going over a few, few of these that are actually being deployed in the Pacific and um, um, uh, very interested in how effective they, they are. Yeah, so the tools of statecraft we define are basically the mechanisms that, that, that influencing or statecraft exercising actors try to use. Now, the obvious ones that get a lot of airplay, we've all heard, no doubt, are aid, loans, security assistance. So that might be, I'll say at the moment, policing assistance <laughs> or military assistance. But there's also kind of less obvious, but in many ways, potentially more you know, equally effective tools such as soft power, so education scholarships. And one of my colleagues here at the University of Adelaide, Priestley Hubru, and a group of Australia Award students have prepared an excellent paper on um, scholarships as a tool of statecraft that your listeners might want to have a look at. Um, media, the role that the media can play, both state media, so Radio Australia or Radio New Zealand or other actors, but also the role that support to local media can play as a tool of influence. Language training, that's getting quite a lot of um, energy at the moment, um, different language training programs, the churches. Um, churches have been a long-standing link between certain states, you know, like Australia and New Zealand and the Pacific, 
going right back to missionary times. So, and you know, you could see missionaries in many ways as early, early actors of statecraft. Tourism is another tool, uh, labor mobility. And then you get to the sort of more, more difficult to identify, but potentially um, powerful mechanisms such as gray zone activities. So this, these might be misinformation or disinformation campaigns, you know, putting the wrong information out via the media or social media to try to change people's beliefs. So there's a whole kind of toolkit that states are using at the moment. There's been a lot of discussion about, you know, the crowded and complex geopolitics of the Pacific and all the statecraft that's being exercised. But we were sort of thinking to ourselves, no one's actually tried to collate it in one place to get a real sense about what is actually going on. And mm. that's what our story map tries to achieve. Going back to your statescraft map, I think one, one of the interesting things I, I was looking at was uh, diplomatic missions and who has missions where and we've seen a flurry from the US of reopening embassies and opening new embassies how how um how effective are missions and then who's who's I guess leading in terms of where missions are placed around the region yeah we have one of the interesting findings about the mission so Australia Australia is has a, a mission in every Pacific Island Forum member country so we are the most present in terms of having a, a post in, in the most places, but New Zealand is close behind and as China and the US is catching up. But one of the interesting things, because we were sort of like, well, what does having a mission there really mean? You know, Because a mission can be a good thing and a bad thing. A mission can be like, you've got great diplomats there who are getting out and meeting people and, and learning about the country and, and, and discussing their own country's policies with the, the country that they're based in. But you know, diplomats could also be a downside too if they're not high performing. <laughs> Um, so it, it's not, you know, present. And this is one of the things that that we want to discuss in when we, when we as we keep working on the story map is it's not quantum that's necessarily as important as quality. So you can have a lot of diplomats out there, but if they're not effective, then, you know, a few high quality ones might be different. But one of the things that we sort of settled on in the in the moment, I mean, this is a this is a living document. So we're still developing is it? we looked at the social media following of the different missions in the different countries. And I must admit, I was a bit shocked <laughs> how many followers the US missions have compared. Australian missions have relatively high followers, but I was expecting there to be much higher engagement with, say, the Chinese missions, their diplomatic posts on Facebook, and um, much, much lower. The, the, the US was just streets ahead, um, in, particularly in Papua New Guinea, so much engagement. Now, that engagement can be for many reasons too. So I don't want to simplify that engagement equals positive view. You might get a lot of engagement in Papua New Guinea at the moment because people are wanting to find out about the Defence Cooperation Agreement, for example. So they might be visiting the US page. So again, engagement doesn't necessarily mean good or bad, but it was just an interesting indicator that um, of the interest, at least, that, 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 that Pacific host countries and, and, and populations have in those different missions. Thank you, Tomas. Uh, thank you, John, for time, Blue. And Thank you for, for your everything. interest. Yeah. <laughs> thank you thank very you. much.